Welcome to Green and Red, Scrappy Politics for Scrappy People, a regular podcast on radical, environmental and anti-capitalist politics, brought to you by Bob Bazanka and Scott Parker. Welcome to the Silky Smooth Sounds of the Green and Red Podcast. I am your co-host today, Scott Parkin, coming to you from Berkeley, California. And as always, I'm joined by... In Ohio, Bob Bazanko. I'm really kind of fired up uh, after hearing uh, Graham Nash, ready to be uh, kind of a little bit Siskel and Ebert and a little bit uh, Marx and Engels today. We are going to talk about Aaron Sorkin's new movie, uh, which has gotten a lot of attention, well, some controversy, uh, the Trial of Chicago 7, and we are film buffs, Scott, much more than I am, and uh, we are historians and we are on the political left, so there's a lot of stuff in this that uh, we have to talk about, and uh, as always, we welcome you and thank you for your support and hope to, it continues and that you uh, follow us on social media and, and share all the stuff that we put out so we can build up our viewership and listenership and readership and all those kinds of things. And if you and if you aren't already, you know, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and then also go to our YouTube channel and hit subscribe. We actually have been having a little bit of a bump in our subscriptions on our YouTube channel, and uh, we want to continue to do that. We know that you know people like Ben Shapiro have a million YouTube followers, and we aspire to be like Ben Shapiro in some ways, but not others. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, also, if you are not a patron, go to our Patreon page. Uh, patreon.com forward slash green and red green red podcast and become a a recurring donor or go to our website greenandredpodcast.org and make a one-time donation we are becoming a media empire we have all kinds of uh, videos and podcasts and actually lectures that i've been doing for my class so you can also get a, a course in u.s history for free so yeah absolutely it's a it's a you know best education that uh youtube can buy (laughs) <laughs> uh, and so, you know, Bob, kind of talking about this movie, it's been in the news a little bit. Uh, there's been some criticism, and then we've also seen people on the uh, political left kind of commenting on some of the revisionism uh, that comes in it, uh, some of the historical inaccuracies. I've seen, you know, both you and I are, are friends with a number of like left historians who said things like, I watched this movie, so you didn't have to. And I was just wondering, uh, uh, you know, some of your initial thoughts after watching yeah. it. Before we start, though, I want to I want to show this off. Uh, back in high school, uh, I was on a rec league team, and this was our name, the Chicago Seven. So, and uh, this, I don't know why I was number forty four. I don't know why I picked that. I think because of Reggie Jackson, maybe. I don't know. At any rate, uh, my point is, it's this has been something that I've known about for a long time. I've studied, I've taught, and, and written about. Um, I, I, you know, there's a, many ways you can look at this as as radicals, lefties, as historians as uh, teachers and as just kind of regular people. Um, it's, it's full of historical inaccuracies, but I think that's kind of what we get when Hollywood attaches, you know, goes after these things and 
you know much more about Aaron Sorkin's work than I do, but I think that's kind of his MO to kind of put this kind of liberal, triumphal, revere, you know, veneer on stuff he does. So historically, it's it's not great. It's not a, it's not archival in that regard. Um, but uh, I think unlike a lot of the criticism you just mentioned, um, I actually thought it was pretty useful, uh, especially, I mean, this is a movie about 2020. And I don't know if, I don't know if he did like final, he did more edits in the last few months or if it was already in the can when everything started in like May and June. But it's, it's in many ways, it's a movie about 2020. Yeah, I, uh, I, you know, before we were talking about like, just like the sort of lens in which we watched it. And you had said that you had watched it as a person on the on the political left, as a teacher, as a historian, as just a regular guy. And you know, I, I kind of like took that to heart and actually thought a lot about that. I would say I have a at least I at least I have a fifth lens, which is also as an organizer, and definitely as a person on the political left, and probably in my wearing a little bit of my historian hat is like I I like cringed at some of the things in there. I I, I felt like the portrayal of Tom Hayden, I was a little dis- I was more than disappointed in that. Um, I thought there should have been a little bit more critique of uh, institutions, whereas like the, you know, there's a, there's a line in it. And I don't know if this is actually from the actual transcript of the trial, but Abby Hoffman says, I think American institutions are the greatest thing ever. It's they're just populated by terrible people and thinking about Aaron Sorkin's work. And I have to admit to people out there in podcast land that I have watched every single episode of the West Wing, which is, uh, you know, what Aaron Sorkin is most known with. And it's a, a long running show about a centrist liberal president prone to make speeches so eloquent that they've reduced both Republicans and unrealistic members of the political left to silence and, and just acquiescence. Um, in fact, one of the main characters who's like the, a, a fan favorite is actually based on Rahm Emanuel, who is, uh, and he's portrayed as one of the good guys. And we all know that Rahm Emanuel <laughs> is not. And so like, I did feel like there was a little bit of a kind of Sorkinism going on with this where it's like the institutions are sound, it's this, they're currently populated by bad people. And I think, you know, you talking about how it's a, a critique of what's going on now is like, that's that's the inherent message is these institutions still work as long as they're not populated by people like John Mitchell, Richard Nixon, Donald Trump, William Barr. Yeah, and 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 really, I mean, I think if you look beyond that, there really is a systemic message there. I mean, it, it opens the very opening scene, right? It's police removing their badges and name tags, which is 2020. You know, this is this is what we've been seeing. Um, you know, but yeah, I think there has to be. It's it's part of this whole kind of liberal idea that we've we've lost our way, right? You know, uh, Graham Nash was was part of a band that's saying Woodstock. We've we've got to get our, find our way back to the garden, right? We have to get back to the Garden of Eden. So I think there's there's that common thread in it. I mean, historically, like as soon as Dave Dellinger punched that guy, I cringed because Dellinger was a well known pacifist. You know, I actually had a the great fortune at one point to spend a couple hours with him at the university of Houston. Um, you know, everything's a caricature like Bobby seal, actually, they, 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 they went easy on that. It was much worse for Bobby seal. He was bound and gag for like three, four days. And then he was sentenced to four years. They didn't just let him off, you know? Uh, so yeah, I think, I think Sorkin doesn't like most of these people don't want people questioning the institutions. They want them hating on daily and, you know, Mitchell and the prosecutor, which, which you should. Um, so historically, you know, I don't think it's a great, like I said, a great archival piece. There's way better stuff out there if you really want to know what's actually going on. Yeah, I mean, they actually even make one of the prosecutors a sympathetic character. Uh, yeah. R- Richard Schultz, played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt, where even at the end, when they're reading off the names of the people who had died <clears throat> in Vietnam that day, he like raises <clears throat> his fist in solidarity, which yeah. I, I can't yeah. imagine a, a Republican 
federal prosecutor ever doing that in no, any war Schultz, trial? No, Schultz was all in on, on the prosecution. Do I have to say Frank Langell is a good actor? You know, he because Hoffman, that was pretty, I mean, Hoffman was, was batshit. And so they kind of nailed that. In fact, during the trial, Abby Hoffman was was yelling at, like uh, hit Yiddish phrases at, at Julius Hoffman, essentially, you know, basically really, really nasty stuff. So they, in a sense, downplayed it, you know, uh, in that regard. But so, yeah, I think historically it's it's a movie. But, you know, I, I don't want to go too far with that. I remember when Mate One came out, which is one of my favorite films ever. And then there are, you know, John Sales is a director and he, he you know, created some characters. You do that. I remember when her, a hurricane came out, you know, that that uh, Javert type character played by Dan Hedaya was actually a compilation of various people who were going after Hurricane Carter and everybody, you know, went nuts over that. It's a movie, you know. Yeah. And so, you know, what what struck me is that a bunch of people I know on social media who are pretty much liberals and women in the suburbs right now, people like that loved it. And, you know, I'm OK with that. I don't think that's a. I think that's a good thing, actually. So unlike, I think I'm probably more positive about it than, than most people on the left would be for that reason. I think, you know, it, it, it shows that, you know, in 1968, 52 years ago, the police were doing the same shit, right? Daily saying shoot to kill. Walter Cronkite said there's a police state in Chicago. I don't think anybody said that this year. You know, so they were cracking heads. They were beating the shit out of people. So 2020 is not historically uh, unique or aberrant. No, not at all. And one thing I'll say is that I, I do think it's important, it, which actually really does beg the question of like, if Sorkin had this in a can and went back and did a kind of final, final edit, because he definitely, the, the protesters are the heroes and the, uh, the reenactments of like the police storming Lincoln Park and the march on the convention and things like that is that like, you know, it's, it's a, which actually is, contrary to actually some of Sorkin's portrayals of protesters on the West Wing is actually, uh, is actually, you know, pretty good. It's like a, it's, it's a pretty important thing. Now, if this was happening in a, a democratic administration, um, I'm not quite sure if Aaron Sorkin would have the same level of sympathy, but. Yeah. And, and you notice, I mean, in 1968, it was, you know, Lyndon Johnson's a Democrat, uh, Richard Daly is like Mr. Democrat. It's at the democratic convention. So that was kind of, yeah, that was definitely downplayed. I mean, the liberals were responsible for Vietnam. They were responsible for COINTELPRO. They were, you know, willing, willing, I mean, eager to cooperate with McCarthyism. So, yeah, that's that's all kind of inconvenient stuff. So, yeah, historically, I mean, if you really into that, I, I would not watch this and, you know, as a, a, a documentary. It's 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 a it's a it's a movie. It's a Hollywood movie. And, you know, take it as it is. But I think as a teaching tool, it's it's actually pretty useful uh, because the message is in it, you know. Are, are very clear. I mean, remember the show we did on Kent State in May uh, reminded me of that too, where, you know, Rhodes was kind of, you know, channeling daily. And, you know, the, the uh, I mean, Lyndon Johnson was calling any war movement uh, communist. I mean, it's, it's very, very similar uh, in that regard. So, um, I, you know, and I don't think, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious anybody watching it too. I think, you know, that anyone who knows anything follows the news at all would say, see that and say, Oh, that's like, that's 2020. You know, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and you no, know, if folks are interested in you know some films which may be a little bit more uh, historically accurate, I actually uh, after watching the Netflix Aaron Sorkin film, I actually went back and watched a, a documentary that came out maybe in the late two thousands called The Chicago Ten, which actually is made up of 
uh, actual footage and then like reenactment kind of animated reenactment footage based on the actual trial transcripts for the most part with like actors like Hank Azaria, Nick Nolte and Roy Scheider play, doing the doing the voices and it actually gives a little bit more of a of a um, historical um, it, it's a little bit more it's a, it's a documentary so it's actually a little bit more historically accurate but I also also actually watching this that film uh, I actually felt like that was also like that came out obviously in the Bush years after we'd had a, a huge anti-war movement around the war in Iraq. And I, and I actually felt like that was also like an important teaching moment as well. And there's actually a clip I want to play from it uh, real quick. And, you know, remember this came out in like, uh, I believe 2007, 2008, something like that. And this is going to be uh, just like some footage from uh, the actual David Dellinger and then some footage from uh, Richard P. Taylor, the mayor of Chicago, and just notice some of the, uh, how the language is still relevant today. We wish to announce now our uh, and Davis. determination to uh, organize a rally uh, the afternoon of August 28th and from there to march to the International Amphitheater where we will be heard on the fundamental issues of the war in Vietnam and racism in the United States. This is David Dellinger, who is a national chairman of the National Mobilization Committee to end the war in Vietnam. What's the purpose of your uh, arrival here and, uh, and wait uh, at the mayor's office? Well, uh, obviously there's an emergency created by the city's refusal to give us any meaningful place to protest. The city invited the uh, Democratic Convention to come in, in fact paid a lot of money to have it come in. Uh, in these days, with Americans and Vietnamese being killed daily in Vietnam, you can't hold a political convention uh, without expecting some form of protest to accompany it. I would like to say here and now... And this is Richard P. Daly, administration folks. ...will never permit a lawless, violent group of terrorists <laughs> to menace the lives of millions of people, destroy the purpose of this national convention, and take over the streets of Chicago. <laughs> And so, you know, you can see the actual, uh, some of the parallels that we still deal with. I mean, how many times did we hear Trump and other like right-wing politicians this summer call protesters like violent terrorists, right? Like they did that in Philadelphia the other night. Yeah, I was surprised that <clears throat> and that Sorkin didn't use the scene from inside the convention when uh, Senator from Connecticut, Abraham Ribicoff, who's Jewish, stood up there and, you know, how people are always calling Trump a Nazi, said there are Gestapo tactics in the streets of Chicago. And then you cut to Daly, who's kind of got his mouth covered, but people swore he said, sit down, you fucking Jew. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's you know, uh, 2020 is scary as hell. It's angst-inducing. And, and like I've said many times, Trump's a different kind of cat. But the idea that we should never normalize him, I think is a mistake because it loses sight of the the historical reality of, like, the Nixon campaign that year and, you know, we're going to talk about this in a, in a few minutes, I think, you know, things like COINTELPRO, just the, re the repression of the anti-war movement uh, and, and of protest in general in the 60s was every bit as intense as it is in 2020. Yeah. And, and just like um, thinking about that, I'm, I'm like thinking about if one's worse than the other, but in some ways it's apple and oranges. In some ways, it's just a continuation of that. And we'll probably actually going to enter a period at some point in the future where we have access to, you know, Department of Homeland Security files that we're already not getting. Some of them do get leaked to the media or some of them come out in discovery or whatever. But like, you know, whenever it was 10 years after Chicago 68, when the COINTEL files started coming out, 
we actually saw the level to which the federal government, particularly the FBI, actually you know went after the new left. They went after the Black Panthers. They went after other sort of radical movements. And uh, you know maybe maybe we should kind of like start to talk about that a little bit right now. Yeah, I mean that's a big theme in the movie, and it's actually a theme that that Sorkin kind of overemphasized. <clears throat> he makes these these agents provocateurs and these infiltrators really kind of key themes in this. And in some cases, like the the woman who uh, Jerry Rubin allegedly fell in love with, and you know was a Chicago cop, that that's not true. It just never happened. Yeah. Um, the the kind of highest level of infiltration was actually one of Tom Hayden's bodyguards. Uh, but, you know, in the trial, they kind of imply there are, what, 27 or I mean, there's a huge number of Chicago cops who testify and you get the implication that they're all kind of, you know, infiltrators. In fact, they weren't. There were three. I think there, there weren't many. Right. And I think what this does, because we're seeing it this year and I've talked about this before and I catch a lot of hell <clears throat> from other lefties for it, is that we focus on that to the exclusion of giving protesters the, you know, I hate that word agency, but we, we do that, right? So like in Minnesota, it was this crazy weird guy looking like uh, he's from the island of Dr. Moreau with an umbrella who started all the Minneapolis uprising. He started the rebellion. And the idea, you know, which I think is more important, which I think liberals are afraid of, is that there was a reason that 5,000 young people were in Chicago raising hell to stop a war. And I did like the fact that they kind of did, you know, kept going back to that, especially with Abby Hoffman. This is about the war. This is about the war. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing, and I, you know, I don't I know a bit about Tom Hayden. I, I thought that it was a, a bit extreme on Hayden. I never heard anybody describe him that badly. And I think he and Hoffman actually got along okay. So um, it was weird that he set that up. Uh, but I guess that's what Sorkin does. These kind of personal things are important in Hollywood, you know, movies. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I didn't actually catch it in the movie, but I read some reviews of it that basically put, quote unquote, this is loosely based on the trial, the Chicago 7. And, yeah. you know, he he used certain tensions like that to like emphasize, you know, for dramatic effect, I guess you could say. Um, and, and it very much pitted, you know, Hoffman and Rubin and even Dellinger and, 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 uh, and Rennie Davis as like the sort of radicals while Tom Hayden is still this sort of like liberal you know, good government, you know, we still need to do the right thing. He's the only one who stands up when the rest of them refuse to stand up when they yeah. you know, gag Bobby Seale. It was an interesting, I, I definitely felt like there was still, I, you know, I say this a lot is like during the Bush years, I felt like there was an anti-Bush movement that split when Obama came in. I think we're definitely in the midst of an anti-Trump movement that I feel like has a lot of potential to split if the, if the Democrats win in the election and the upcoming election. And so I, I feel like people like Sorkin still like to kind of play that nuance. And, yeah. And even in the ending credits where it talks about how Tom Hayden went on to be in the California state legislature for like six terms or whatever, and Abby Hoffman committed suicide. It's like also like a commentary on like where their political paths took them. Yeah. I mean, Abby Hoffman was a hell of an activist that entire period, you know, while he was, while he was under, underground. Right. Um, and, our, you know, our I, friend Lisa Fithian was mentored by him in that period. That's what you said. That's, that's awesome. Um, yeah. And, you know, to go back to what you said before, I don't want to downplay the role of the, the FBI and COINTELPRO. It was it was brutal. Uh, you know, they had infiltrated. Um, they had intelligence. Uh, my only point is that these movements weren't, you know, I mean, the idea that infiltrators or provocateurs kind of cause all these problems really said, basically is saying, well, the people in there couldn't do it on their own. You know, yeah. and that's that's really I mean, the, the civil rights movement was was, you know, infiltrated quite a bit. Black Panthers, you know, groups like that. But. You know, they had a legitimate I, reason to fight. 
I also, I also, I, the one thing I don't like is that when we oversimplify, emphasize the role of infiltrators in particular, is that it like most activists I know to sometimes to their detriment are actually, you know, they're way more aware about who the provocateurs are than like Hollywood would betray it. Right. Oh yeah. I mean, even, and, and, and I like, you know, taking away agency because umbrella man started the riot, started the protests and the riots in Minnesota. Also like, saying that like provocateurs did this also take away like uh, um, that provocateurs are able to infiltrate without being detected by people in, in movement spaces is also taking away agency. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you look at that video of the crazy guy in Minneapolis, people are telling him to stop, you know? Yeah. Um, no, but you know, in Houston, we were like that and we weren't doing anything wrong, but we kept, you and I would have conversations like, who's that guy? Or I've never seen him or, Hey, be careful around him. That kind What's of that car outside my house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I told you I once had uh, HPD came up. I was I had my class over for the end of semester cookout, and they were taking out license plates, and, and you know it was, it was like like a scene out of The Godfather or something. You know, it was ridiculous. So, but yeah, they're not. And let's face it, you know, the the government isn't that good at what they do. They're really, thankfully, thankfully, they're you know really kind of the gang that couldn't couldn't shoot straight. What's the great line from uh, The Way of the Gun? It's not exactly a brains type operation. Yeah. But you know COINTELPRO was very real. The red scare was very real. McCarthyism was very real. Uh the post 911 the green uh, scare. You know, but yeah, the 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 pink scare, uh you know, uh the homeland security, that's all real. But you know, in, in the 60s there were millions of people in the streets protesting. It wasn't just you know uh the uh SDS and yippies in Chicago. Uh, that became the most high-profile case. And, you know, it's one of these things how, you know, we say, like, Trump is actually a favor to the left in the, re in the sense that he's kind of so vulgar and so obnoxious and so horrible that, like, you know, he forces, he flushes everybody out. I mean, Julius Hoffman kind of did that, too. In some ways, you couldn't ask for a better judge because he was just so over the top. And that part's pretty, pretty real. He was insane. Yeah, it seems like he had kind of, like, at that point in his career, he had lost it. In the very yeah. is to be generous, yeah. to be generous, it's like he's yeah. old and he just lost his shit. Yeah, and and Langella played him well. I mean, he he was goofy. I don't know if like how closely they followed the the transcript. Um, in the you know one of the things that was important in my political awakening, I forget when this when this was made. I think it was made by BBC and then then PBS picked it up. But there was actually kind of a documentary where they read from the transcripts of this trial, and I remember seeing this you know a long time ago when it really kind of that's I think that's probably why I named my basketball team the chicago seven you know uh oh you named you named it the chicago oh seven. yeah yeah it was funny. <laughs> the paper would have you know the uh the scores of the intramurals and it would say the chicago seven beat you know whatever you know 22 to 20 or something like that you know right <laughs> nice but uh um so many people have written about this i wouldn't be as critical as a, most of the stuff i've seen on the left which is some of it's been really 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 critical I've heard I heard an interview with Rennie Davis the other day that you sent me, and you know I, I get it. He was part of it, and Rennie Davis is is really a much more important figure uh, than Sorkin made him out to be. Uh, Davis was a, a big time organizer, uh, well respected, and you know I, that that whole kind of thing, like he didn't want his girlfriend's parents to know, and all that was that's Hollywood. Yeah, you know? absolutely. You know, uh, listening to that listen to that interview with Rennie Davis. You know, Rennie Davis and David Dellinger were coordinators of the national mobilization to stop the war which was a huge, like the lar largest in US, at least modern US history, probably yeah. in US history, it was 150 national organizations, which actually, you know, organized the South the war included like Martin Luther King's, you know, um, Southern Christian leadership conference and all <clears throat> that. And it's like, it was, it was, a, it was a powerful force. 
that like mobilized all of those people. And then like the, that was, you know, looking at this through the lenses of an organizer, that was one thing I felt that was a pretty big disservice is like, you know, Rennie Davis was, I don't think he was even 30 years old. And, you know, he and Dellinger, who went to prison for resisting being a, a pacifist and resistor in World War II, you know, these were like, his, these were monumental figures, amazing people with amazing energy, with amazing skills to sort of organize this. And I felt like both of them actually Sorkin sort of like kind of leveled a little bit of a, a softball hit on them. Like Davis is worried about his girlfriend's parents knowing that he's at protests. Dellinger, who's this lifelong pacifist, punches the marshal. Um, I, I did have like problems with that. I actually, uh, in, in, uh, on social media, I saw a member of uh, Daniel Berrigan's family post about the film and about David Dellinger and how that was such a disservice to who David Dellinger was. You know, he had Dellinger, he, I believe he was also like a Catholic path, pacifist, if I'm not mistaken. And he had, he, had, he had a large family and a good portion of his family were in court every day for the five and a half months they were on trial. And at one point, I don't know if it was over Bobby Seale or it was over something else, like his family was like raising hell, like protesting and the marshals were dragging him out where one of his like 13 year old daughter got yeah. punched by a marshal. Yeah. And, and in the film, it's like his, he has like his wife and his one son who actually are somewhat questionable about whether he should be there or not. And I, yeah. You know, I, I do find, I, I actually find media portrayals of organizers with rare exceptions, especially in more mainstream films, very problematic. And it's, it, it's you know, for, for a, an establishment that loves that there was a community organizer in the White House named Barack Obama, they completely always tear down organizers in, in a lot of films that I watch. Well, I mean, that's look at the way that King's historical le legacy has been, you know, played out. And like, you know, I have a dream and, you know, nonviolence and all that. And you don't even get sight of the, like the poor people's campaign or the speech against Vietnam or any of that stuff. Yeah, it's, it's, it fits a neat thing. I mean, these people don't want to give you successful portrayals of people who took on the system. Um, even, you know, Abby Hoffman, I didn't think that I, Abby Hoffman, I think, comes off fairly positively, but they kind of turn him into kind of a comedian or a court jester, too. I mean, uh, Hoffman had a huge following and, you know, the stuff that Hoffman did, the stuff the hippies did, the stuff the beatniks did was actually inherently political. And instead of doing that, you get this kind of carnivalesque uh, approach to it. Um, but, you know, that, that certainly, you know, things like that satire, humor, you know, that has a role to play. Not everybody can be incredibly solemn and theoretical every moment. You know, you, you need a, a, a mix of that, you know. Why do you want to have all a bunch of serious Marxist theorists as like your, your political advocate when you can have Abby Hoffman and Jerry yeah. Rubin? Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, overall, uh, a bunch of people I know who are not, you know, clued in politically like geniuses and, you know, like us <laughs> really like yeah. it. And I mean, Ge geniuses, I quote unquote, I'm being, I'm being sarcastic. I mean, I can't tell you how many people said we're, we're, we're in our stable geniuses, though, Bob. I just yeah, we're very you. stable geniuses. Yeah. <laughs> My, you know, the doctors are amazed at what I know. Uh, but I mean, I mean, I can't tell you how many people ask me, have you seen it? Oh, it's really good. And I'm, I'm OK with that. You know, if this lets them know that 52 years ago, the police were doing the same crap they're doing today, then that's not a bad thing. You know, and at one point, this is clearly present this when uh, it was a Ramsey Clark who said the president, uh, the president is not a client of the attorney general. Yeah, yeah. I think it was when they went to talk to him. I mean, that's a dig at Barr. Absolutely. So that had to go in later or, or maybe not. But that was clearly aimed at Barr. You know, the president is not a client of the attorney general. I definitely felt like the, there's a whole sort of like subplot around how John Mitchell is like, and Nixon are 
wanting to undo what Clark and Johnson had done. Like in in this particular subplot, it was around not prosecuting the Chicago Seven and not yeah. prosecuting the the riots. And that I actually um, felt like that was a dig about how Trump has gone through and tried to undo everything that he, Obama did that he can. Yeah, and I, I mean, maybe and, and, and it being over petty, jealous, rival yeah. kind of stuff. Now, in Trump's case, that's true. I'm not sure Mitchell, you know, because in, in this, Mitchell did it because, you know, Ramsey Clark snubbed him. Whereas, you know, that was Nixon's entire campaign, law and order, you know, it, you know, get get America back to the old days, you know, and all that kind of thing. So Sil- it was majority beat up the yeah. protesters. So going after uh, uh, the seven and Bobby Seale, uh and I do think I again, I mean, I've seen people take issue with the idea that they put Seal in there because the Black Panthers were unpopular. Um, I'm not aware that Fred Hampton had that bigger role in it. Maybe he did. I just wasn't aware of that. But uh, um, yeah, they personalized it, right? I mean, in Trump's case, yeah, there's clearly some element, absolutely an element of that. But in this, I think there were these bigger political issues that Nixon had run as this law and order candidate who wanted to crack down, who wanted to send a message. And so, um, you know, and Sorkin turned it into a kind of a, a personal feud between John Mitchell and, and uh, Ramsey Clark. Yeah. You know, actually thinking about the, about the, you mentioned the Fred Hampton thing, which like a, a part of the film is that like Fred Hampton is like a sort of behind the scenes figure actually in Bobby yeah. Seale's defense. And yeah. then the assassination of Fred Hampton by the Chicago police and the, and the FBI actually happened while they're on trial. And, you know, I, to me, well, I, I, to me, Fred Hampton is like a, an important figure in organizing in the late 60s as well. And I have to say, I did like the fact that they brought Fred Hampton into the, uh, in, in the, into the story. I thought, I thought that was important. I, I, I don't know. I, yeah, I'm like you. I don't know if there was actually, he was that involved, but I actually do feel like that was an important thing to bring into the story. There's actually oh, a new no, film. No. There's a yeah. new film out about Fred Hampton too, that maybe we could review at some point. Um, yeah. Uh, but uh I, I did think that was important. Um, and the, and if I'm not mistaken, kind of talking about Contel Perot in this period is that like when the Nixon administrated, administration ranked some of the activist groups it was most afraid of, Black Panthers was number one, Vietnam Vets Against the War was number two, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, Contel Perot was a very real thing. I, no, I was really, I thought it was great to, to make Hampton like kind of a central figure in that. Um, you know, we were talking, you were talking earlier about organizing and I remember you can speak to this way better than I can as an organizer. But when I saw the, um, the Harvey Milk movie, um, uh, I think it was just called Milk with, yeah. with Sean Penn. Yeah. Uh, that's you know, a good portrayal like, of an organizer. Well, that's what I was going to say. As I watched that, I thought this is a really good movie about organizing. Yeah. Um, whereas I'm not sure this one is really, no, no. uh, at all, you know, but it's going for the melodrama, but you know, uh, if if I took one thing away from it, it's that that it really got this message out, you know, to people who may not be, you know, bought in as much as people like you and I are who've been following this forever, that the police, you know, policemen are bad, you know, uh, they can be sociopathic, violent thugs, you know, and that's not new. That's kind of who they are. Yeah. And I actually, you know, Aaron Sorkin definitely tries to make it like institutions and systems are actually, you know, can work in an inherently good and it's just populated by terrible people. I actually, you know, well, my, in my heart of hearts, I do believe that the police state and policing is like an inherently horrible institution, everything from school security guards to prison systems. Right. And I did think for someone who tries to stay away from the anti-system stuff, I did feel like it still came out that there's like a systemic problem with policing in this film. 
No, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think if you look at that, you're not seeing just a few bad apples. You know, they're kind I feel, of all in. I, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I feel like that's despite Aaron Sorkin's best efforts. The yeah. institution's good. Well, it's kind of hard to do that with, with, but yeah, no, I mean, you, yeah, I think we no, could also be just be jaded radicals too. So, yeah, no, I mean, I think, you know, the people I know aren't, aren't looking at that and saying, oh, there's just a few bad apples. You know, they're like, this is the Chicago police. They're all in. They're kind of enjoying it. I mean, you know, the other night in Philly, they, they stopped the people who went the wrong way down the street, you know, pulled them out, beat the shit out of them, took their baby and then put out a fucking tweet that says, look at, we, we found this baby in the street, you know, and running around, barefoot. running around and we pretend we saved it. And the Philadelphia Inquirer called him out. So they had to take it down, but no, they're, they're, they're sociopathic. There's, there's no doubt. And well, there's also yeah. now video of the police smashing out the windows of their own vehicles and saying yeah. it was protesters that did it. Oh yeah. They've done that in every, every major city, you know, yeah. that's the thing too. They I mean they're, well, I'm not, I was going to say they're not that dumb, but, <laughs> but you know, they got to know they're being recorded by a thousand people and don't care. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and in Chicago, they did have that anonymity. I mean, there were TV cameras there and stuff, but it was, you know, very different. But like I said, I thought, I thought the very opening, as soon as, the, as soon as it starts with the policeman taking off his badge and his name tag, I'm thinking like, <clears throat> all right, he went back and added this scene, <clears throat> you know, in the last couple months. Yeah. Because it's just so presentist that, you know, I, I don't look at movies as documentaries. I don't look at those as historical documents. Um, yeah. You know, uh, so like Hurricane is one of my favorite movies ever. And I know that, you know, uh, um, who was it? Sidney Lamette did that, I think. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, he, 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 you know, he's, he's a director. That's what they do. You know, it has to fit in within two hours. And, um, you know, Spike Lee got some grief from Malcolm X movie and John Sales from Eight One. I don't care. They're, yeah. you know, uh, born on the 4th of July, I thought was a good movie, you know, even yeah. though some of that stuff never happened. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, they're, they're not historians. I'll, I'll, I'll say for folks who also want to learn more about this, the film, the Chicago 10, the documentary is good. And then a, a film, which is a, also like a, a sort of Hollywood version, but I actually feel like had a little bit more radical substance and definitely kind of talk about institutions, which is about this period and these people, which is called Steal This Movie with Vincent D'Onofrio as uh, Abby Hoffman and Jean Garofalo. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a biofilm of Abby Hoffman and it's, you know, it's also Hollywoodized, but it's also, it's also very good. Yeah. My, uh, I think I told you, Kelsey, my late son watched that thing like dozens of times. He loved it. It's yeah. it, no, it's, it's well done. And, you know, Abby is, is a, is a great figure and uh, um, steal this book. Uh, who was the, the book about Abby Hoffman? I can't remember now. Uh, somebody wrote a, a pretty cool book about Abby Hoffman. I can't remember what it's titled. I think John Wiener wrote a book about the Chicago trial, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, there's a ton of stuff out there. And, but, you know, I mean, if, you know, especially it's on Netflix, you don't have to pay for it. So I would, I would definitely say, you know, watch it. Absolutely. I would encourage you to watch it. And, you know, if, if you're looking for historical, you know, uh, accuracy, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to fudge a lot of stuff, but I think the message is fairly clear. And sometimes I don't, I don't know. I remember during mate one, a lot of my lefty friends, labor historians, especially, Oh, it's too didactic. It's like, that's what movies are supposed to do. You know, like the left never understood that idea. If you create your own reality, you're just very, you know, you have to be very assertive. And I mean, that's the only thing Trump knows how to do, right. Is just lie and double down on it. Abby, so, Hoffman, you know, Abby Hoffman understood that. I would say too. Yeah, yeah, he did. He did. Absolutely. So no, I would, I would definitely, you know, I would give it a thumbs up, you know, <laughs> I'll give it a I'll give it a seventy five percent thumbs up. Okay. <laughs> All right. uh, yeah, because because actually, also I'm I'm a big fan of everyone who makes an effort to kind of bring this stuff to people's attention. So yeah, um, folks, you have been listening to the Green Red podcast talk about Aaron Sorkin's The Trial of the Chicago Seven. Uh, if you 
are a fan of the Green and Red podcast but don't follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, pull out your phone and do it right now. Uh, <laughs> if you are not a uh, subscriber to our YouTube channel, go to Green and Red Podcast on YouTube and subscribe right now. And if you're not a patron, uh, go to our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash Green Red Podcast and become a patron. And then if you like us and want to give us money and don't want to give it to any more Democratic Senate candidates says the election is almost over, then please uh, go to greenredpodcast.org and hit our donate button and make a sizable, charitable, generous donation to uh, Green Red Podcast. You know, we, we, are, uh, we do this on a shoestring. We get grants from really generous friends and activist groups and sometimes even out of our own pockets. And we, uh, we just need to keep going. And that is going to be today's show. And you'll uh, uh, be seeing this really soon. And I hope everybody has a pleasant election week. Thank you.